I'm an executive tycoon, an executive craze, caught up in the web of corporate names. With a handshake gallus and a dolphin's thumb, a bar school book and a digital note. Coffee with on the morning Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to another edition of American Billiard Radio. My name is Mr. Bond. I'll be your host for this evening. It is February 27th, 2014. And man, what a winter. Golly gee, it just doesn't want to ever end. You guys down in the Southwest and whatnot, you you consider yourself lucky because uh, pretty much the rest of us are are uh, uh, making ice cubes up here. So <laughs> it's a good time to be uh, in the South, that's for sure. You know, earlier in the year, if you're a regular follower of the show, we did some discussions on the state of the pool industry, the state of the union, and there was all kinds of talk about uh, the various things that were going on. And I don't really want to re- revisit the whole discussion, but I did come across an article just recently um, that I wanted to share with you because I, I think it's still uh, somewhat pertinent to what's going on. And if you don't mind, I'm going to try to read this to you without screwing it up. So uh, bear with me here. And I'll, ex- I'll explain when this was written after uh, I'm done. It was written by a gentleman uh, by the name of Maurice Daly, who was the president of the Billiard Room Owners Association. And this is what he had to say. In attempting to forecast the future, many conditions must be considered, as matters commercially are somewhat chaotic. Now let me just stop right there. He says it right here, right up front, first paragraph. In attempting to forecast the future, many things need to be considered because commercial matters are chaotic. Now, is this not true? Is the billiard industry right now chaotic? Yes, I I believe it is. So his first point is spot on. Now I will continue. Large corporations are slowly being controlled by government supervision. Banking business is to be another government feature. Through the passing of the currency bill, capitalization and inflation values, inflation of values have taken place. I'll stop right there. Is this not true? Government banking, the government bailing out companies, inflation, of course all happening. I shall continue. Now with the above formidable array of conditions confronting us, who would prophesy with any degree of accuracy? In the billiard business, high rents and the cost of materials necessary in conducting a first class place have become almost prohibitive. Competition has carried everybody into a struggle to hold one's own. Surroundings such as locations must be better. Decorations and all the paraphernalia that business calls for have all increased out of proportion to earning power. And I'll stop again right there. 
Is this not true? The competition? Nah, not so much. But it's because of the prohibitive costs is what he mentions, I think. And that's what's most relevant to us right now. I shall continue. Licenses have been advanced to such an extent that most rooms throughout the country have had to add bars and enlarge their rooms in order to secure additional revenue. I'll stop right there. What pool room or bar room, or excuse me, what pool room that you know of isn't a bar room and hasn't had to add food and entertainment to their venue just to pay the bills? Spot on. I shall continue. Now the revenue per table has remained the same despite the above conditions. The room keepers of the country have failed to work in, cooper in cooperation for the increase of revenue in order to meet the excessive requirements needed. Each one seems afraid that someone's going to steal what business, what little business they have, and so we drift from bad to worse. The country has gone, has undergone many changes in the way of amusement for the people: golf, tennis, baseball. Skating, dancing, have all taken a strong grip upon our clientele. Still, if the room keepers could be brought to see and understand matters properly, they would take lessons from the past, and by publicity and excitement, they would not only hold most of their patrons, but they would continually make new ones. Let me stop right there. Is this not true? The country has gone undergone many changes in the way of amusements. Video games, reality TV, just you name the sports, everything. Golf specifically, baseball, tennis, all of this. They all have top-notch production. It's hard to get people away from some of these sports. Not that they're participating in those particular sports, but they are spectators of those sports because they have top quality production. They're, they build excitement around these things. I shall continue. The efforts in this direction invariably fall upon the shoulders of one big concern. I'll stop right there. This article is specifically making reference to the Brunswick Corporation. They're saying that the efforts in this direction invariably fall upon the shoulders of the commercial industry because they are the ones who are selling the tables and the cues and the chalk and the balls. I shall continue. They struggle to create an interest in and foster the business. But they don't get sufficient help from anybody else directly interested in its development either. But as materials advance in price, they in turn advance their price, so they avert some of their loss. But they themselves are a little bit sluggish too, and sooner or later, they will also be sufferers. Now this is a bad state of affairs to allow a pastime so full of interest, technique, and social life as billiards to drift away from the public is deplorable. And eventually, good rooms where a gentleman and his wife 
can come to play and see good playing will have passed out of existence or into some small unsanitary place where people will not venture. When I say the past should be our guide for the future, by that I meant up to within a few years we had matches and tournaments continually and billiards was always in the public eye. We need them now more than ever for the competition and amusement is greater and unless the room keepers, manufacturers, and all others interested in the game get together in conclave to cooperate, stimulate, and educate the public continually to the beauties of billiards, I am afraid the outlook is indeed gloomy. And that's the end of the article. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm here to tell you that that article was written and published December 28th, 1913. That was 100 years ago, 102 months years ago. Have we not learned anything from the past? Have we not learned that those who do not learn from history are doomed to repeat it? Surely one of your teachers has told you that before now. They were faced with this issue at the time, and guess what? They did something about it. Brunswick made the move. The manufacturers other than Brunswick made the move. The cue makers made the move. The room owners made the move. This is what we have to do. This is what has to be done. Perhaps it will be painful. Perhaps it will be unpleasant. But as has been prophesied from the very beginning, if something isn't done, we are going to be left with bars and restaurants with a pool, a pool table. So I'll pause for effect and let that sink in for just a minute. Perhaps it will inspire you. Perhaps it will depress you. It depends on how you want to look at it, I suppose. But uh, this is this is my message to you. Uh, things will not change until somebody changes. Things will not get better until someone gets better. Things will not be uh, supported until somebody supports them. So, you know, it, it's not going to get better by itself. Something has to be done. And it's certainly not going to get done just by sitting here and listening to this. It's certainly not going to be done by sitting at home and whining about it. I implore the industry. I implore the manufacturers. I implore those that can do something about it to talk amongst yourselves, to cooperate. And trust me, when people start putting their heads together we can make a big difference. It's just very simple. It's that simple. Work together. You've heard the slogans on TV. Orange juice. It's not just for breakfast anymore. Pork. The other white meat. Beef. It's what's for dinner. Milk. It does the body good. Got milk? These are examples of thousands or at least hundreds of individuals coming together 
to bring themselves into the public eye. Who has not heard those slogans before? It was that simple. They decided, you know what? I don't like Farmer Bob and he doesn't like me, but we both want to make money. There you go. So that concludes my lecture for, for this week. I, uh, I, like I said, I didn't mean to revisit the whole entire argument, but when I read this article, it struck a note, you know, and I thought, well, gee whiz, it's just that easy. You get two people together, and then you get three, and then you get four. Next thing you know, we've got a pro tour, we've got commercials, and we're on television. It's just that easy. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave it alone. This week, we're going to be talking with a great guy from Chicago by the name of Mike Pinozo. You ever heard of Mike Pinozo? If you haven't, then you are about to. He has been in the billiard industry bringing us stories, photographs, news, interviews. Why? Because he is the publisher of Billiards Digest magazine and has been for the last 30-some-odd years. He's a great guy. They produce a quality product probably the best publication on the planet about billiards. You should support him. He supports us. Mike gets around. So uh, he went to this year's Derby City, and I was talking to him about that, and this is what he had to say. Well, Mike, I understand that you were able to attend the Derby City Classic this year. Um, What were your impressions uh, on the event how did it go? Uh, it was the first time I've been down there in, in uh, a number of years. I'm sorry to say, uh, it just was always a tough time of year for me. But I've been wanting to get down there for the last few years. I was down there in the early years. Um, it's it's really a unique event. Um, it's something that you know is good for younger people to go down and watch because it's really long hours <laughs> um, and it's a really frantic pace. Yeah. Um, but I think it's a it's a it's a good event. It's a fun event. I think that Greg Sullivan uh, from Diamond, who, who started the whole event, I think he'd be the first to admit it's it's not really a pro tournament right. in the sense of it being, you know, uh, set up for the top pros to sure. perform well sure. and you know meet in the finals. It's a it's a crapshoot. It's uh, the Single elimination with one buy-in rule is very interesting. Um, you know, there's short races. Um, you know, that being said, you know, you look at this year and the winners were Efren and and Orcolo and um, Shane. Right. You know, so they were uh, the top players did rise to the top, but it's 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 not really meant to be, I don't think, uh, you know, a pro-style tournament. It's sure. it's something that Greg thought, you know, let me have, let me run a tournament that I would like to go watch. Let me put in a lot of divisions. Right, and, right. right. Um, it's, it's really pretty, it's pretty crazy watching. I watched Efren play on the um, TV table in this, you know, to reach the finals of the one pocket, and then he had to run from that table back into the main part of the tournament room <laughs> to play a nine-ball match. Um, and then... He had to turn around and run back to the TV room after that for the one-pocket final. So um, 
it's interesting how as a player you've got to, you know, you've got to be able to crack it down and get down there because they redraw every day. Yeah. And you've got to sit there for that and find out when you're going to play, if you're going to play, what games you're going to play that day. If, if you do well in all the events, you know, you're pretty much playing around the clock. So it, it's a pretty crazy yeah. It's a pretty crazy atmosphere. Yeah, it is. It is. I did not get to go this year, but how did, how did you feel about the? Uh, well, I just was interested in in uh, the overall success. Did it look like uh, attendance was up or down? I mean, do you think it's it's succeeding or is it uh, doomed I, to I, fail? I think some of the I think some of the divisions were a little bit down in participation, um, but not dramatically. I mean, it certainly seemed. To be a healthy tournament to me, you'd have to have brag about how it was financially for them. But sure. um, but I think overall it was a successful tournament. There were a lot of you know sweaters there watching the action, <laughs> and uh, uh, a lot of players there. And the action room had plenty of activity. And um, you know it, it seemed to be to be bustling. But uh, again, only Greg would know whether it was whether it was worth his effort. But I, I thought sure. that it was a good event. Now, do you have a, a favorite game that you prefer to play as opposed to watch? Um, you know, I don't really play all that much. It's just uh, the nature of the job. You really don't get much opportunity to play. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. like I like all the games. I love watching straight pool uh, because there's so little of it to watch anymore. Yeah, and uh, I like you know I, I like watching any of the games when I'm sitting with someone who's really involved in the game. Right, you know, right. to sit next to, you know, a straight pool expert during the straight pool matches is great, and uh, you know, to sit next to a, a one packet expert watching one packet is is interesting too. I mean, I think sure. one packet's fascinating. It can be a little bit long sometimes, but uh, but I do enjoy it. Yeah, uh, I enjoy all the games. Now, do you think? Um, I'm going to try to to make a parallel here. Um, what do you think? Um, that men's professional pool. Is there anything that they could learn from this event at all? And if, if and, and even if there's not, what do you think? What kind of advice do you think that they could really use at this point? You know, obviously the, oh. there seems to be a, a, a lack of. Uh, you know, I guess you could point your finger in any direction and, and find something wrong. But uh, you know, what does Mike think about the future of, of men's pro pool at this point? Um, I'll tell you, although, you know, for 33 years, no one's really listened to what I've said. <laughs> but it's, um, you know, I, I don't know. It's not that, There's nothing you can put your finger on and say this is this is the button that you push to correct everything. Right. Um, I, there's several ways to look at it. Um, I'm a believer in in growing something from a smaller level into something big. Um, I think that you know, people worry too much about, you know, big money events and and all that. And I think if the industry and the players and everyone could come together and try to work out a very, you know, reasonable right. Modest. tour of events sure. um, and, and create something that has the appearances of a tour, um, I think that would go a long way to creating some kind of stability, creating some kind of interest from younger players to want to play. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it, it's difficult. You, know, you can't have cheap events because people have to travel and go to these events and play in them, whatever. But, right. um, you know, the biggest issue to me with the billiard industry has, has been for years that it 
doesn't know what it wants. It's yeah. not people. It's very easy to point fingers and say that the, the BCA doesn't do this, and the pro men don't do this, and the pro women don't do that, and the amateurs don't do this, and 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 realistically, it, it needs um, it needs some kind. It needs everyone to sit down at one table and say, "Geez, what can we do to to get a little bit of momentum going?" Right. You know, right. what can we do to get uh, a tour off the ground? And I kind of look back a little bit to, you know, if I looked at a blueprint, um, <clears throat> I remember the, the very beginning of the women's classic tour where they run around the country to various, I mean, there were much, you know, there was much more industry involvement back in those days. and There mm-hmm. were many more players in the game in terms of table manufacturers and queue manufacturers. But, <clears throat> excuse me, they went around and they, you know, they weren't, they were ambitious, but they didn't, you know, shoot for the moon. They, you know, they said, we want to have 10 events where the first prize is $10,000. Mm-hmm. And it pays down to this level. And this is the money we need to raise for that. And we'll call it this tour. And, and it was very structured. Um, and there's no doubt that that helped the WPBA create a, a greater, you know, groundswell of interest all over the country in mm-hmm. terms of women wanting to play on the tour, people watching the tour, people investing in the tour. Right, right. Um, you know, the players didn't get rich off it in those days, but it was a good, it was, it was you know, a really solid foundation to, from which you could build something. Yeah. Um, and I think that the men pros need to find that type of organization. And yeah. it takes, you know, uh, it takes selfless volunteers like it did for the WPBA um, who didn't have you know self-serving interests involved and I think that you know just just a simple blueprint a simple game plan that right. the industry buys into and the men buy into and an association buys into and you know it could could be the start of something I don't know if yeah. that's the answer but um, you know this kind of pot shot approach to you know, this guy's going to come in and run a big tour, and this guy's going to come in and run a big tour, and everyone, everybody wants ownership. Yeah, yeah. Instead of working together and just building something together. Well, I think you hit you hit uh, the nail on the head. Well, you made a good point, at least, with the... It doesn't have to be shooting for the moon. I think at this point, uh, you know, to get both the fans and the, the players on board... It just needs to be something consistent and reliable, you know what I mean? Something that is regular. <laughs> yeah, it does need to be consistent and reliable, and I think it'll help produce better players. Right, you know, right. And I think that they they need to play more often in that type of competition to sure. become better players. And, right. and, you know, you can just look back at how poorly the U.S. performed in the Moscone Cup this year. Um, and it was a much, to me, a much more, a much deeper-rooted problem than the fact that, you know, the Europeans kicked their butt. To me, it just showed that there's just... The American men don't play enough to, one, produce good young players, right. and two, produce players, young or old, who play often enough in really heavy competition to be able to compete at that level. Right. And and as other players do, and, and it was, you know, it was really pretty painfully apparent what the difference is, um, you know, how far Amer- pool in America you know, amongst American players has fallen. 
Speaking of, um, wh- how do you feel about uh, the Mark Wilson decision and this new approach to selecting the team? How does that make you feel? Um, well, I'm, you know, I love Mark. I mean, he's, I've known him for a long time. He's a, he's a terrific student of the game. He's uh, he's a hard worker. He's a thinker. Um, you know, whether he can, I mean, he can't make people play better. Sure. Um, you know, they still have to be able to play. Uh, but I think that, you know, I think it's a, um, it's an interesting move on Matchroom's part yeah. to, to announce Mark so early in the year and to give him time to develop something. I mean, certainly Matchroom has a vested interest in this. They they can't spend many more years watching the U.S. get their brains beat in without <laughs> having a difficult time selling their product. So, um you know, it's important to them that the U.S. become competitive, and and I think Mark will do will do a good job. I, I think that um, you know all the talk and and all his talk about how he's going to approach this. I hope it doesn't become too much of a shooting gallery for everyone to criticize and poke their nose in the way he's doing things for the next eleven months. Right, right. Uh, you know, I, I I hope that you know he can just settle into having his own way of doing things and he's going to make decisions and he'll let everybody know when he's done. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I think he can pick any team he wants and, and uh, you know, he's going to go for players who buy into, um, buy into a vision more than he's going to go for players who hit balls. Yeah. Um, they said, well, how can you, how can you possibly have a team without Johnny Archer without, Shane, with I don't really care who's on this team. I mean, they certainly can't do any worse than they did this year. So, right, right. you know, you can you can put pretty much anybody on the team, and if they show the commitment uh, and drive, um, I think it'll be an improvement. And I like what he's talked about doing in terms of um, getting the team announced and together several times for a period of, you know, a couple of weeks at a time and maybe touring the country and maybe setting up matches where they play other teams and kind of get used to the team concept, not only at the table, but away from the table. Right. Um, I think that, that, you know, that those are interesting, you know, uh, approaches that he's taken and it'll be interesting to see how they, how they pan out. Right. No. And I think you're right too. Obviously you can't lose worse than you can lose. So it doesn't really matter if they, if they do that again, I think they have everything to gain, though, as far as uh, um, their reputation and their image and their togetherness. And, and, well, it's like I said, I was telling somebody else that it it doesn't matter to me whether they win or not. I think I just want them to make us proud. You know, we don't want to be ashamed of the job that they do regardless. So uh, let me take a quick break real quick, and uh, we will come back and talk a little bit more about uh, the magazine. Sounds good. Okay, and we're back, and I am talking with Mike Pinozo. He is the publisher of Billiards Digest magazine. Um, Mike, if you could, tell us a little bit about how did you get involved with uh, uh, Luby Publishing in the very beginning, and um, and if you could follow that up with um, how is uh, specifically you know print in general and even your own magazine, how are you guys dealing with the challenge 
of um, you know print versus internet and the instant gratification thing. Sure. Um, well, as far as my my start here at at uh, Luby Publishing and at Billiards Digest, <clears throat> that uh, I was just a uh, a journalism major coming out of school looking for a job. Okay. Um, you know, interesting enough, this, interestingly enough, this is the, the only job I've ever really had. <laughs> uh, so I graduated with a journalism degree from Marquette in 1980 and uh, started working for Billiards Digest in uh, August of that year. And uh, were you school, were you a pool player at that time? No, I was. Uh, you know, I like to hit balls around like anyone else. But sure. I was. You know, it, it could have been a, a magazine about jarts okay. or chess, and and I would have been equally interested in in finding employment. So, okay. um, you know, I was interviewing around at various newspapers and magazines, and um, came across this opportunity and interviewed with Mort Luby, who had uh, launched the magazine. Um, I don't know if many people know, but Billiards Digest was part of a magazine called Bowler's Journal for many years. Uh, Bowler's Journal just celebrated its 100th anniversary, and it's a magazine that we publish. And for a number of years, because uh, the bowling business and the billiard industry were so tied at the hip back in those days, in the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, uh, Bowler's Journal used to devote a number of pages in the magazine to billiards. So it was called Bowler's Journal and Billiard Review. Mm, Um, And over time, the bowling people, you know, uh, didn't like having to split their magazine with billiard news, and (laughs) the people of the billiard industry thought that they deserved their own magazine. So uh, in 78, Moore decided to launch Billiard's Digest as a freestanding billiard publication. Um, And then he... uh, was looking for an editor in 80, and I interviewed for the job and pretty much lied my way through the whole interview and told them <laughs> I could take photographs and do whatever. I just figured, just let me get my foot in the door, and if I fall on my face, then it's my own fault. <laughs> you know, let's give me, give me, give me an opportunity. Yeah. Um, and, and it was, uh, it was a lot of fun. Uh, back in those days, it was mostly a black and white magazine, and it was probably about you know, 48 pages at the most. Um, and, uh, it was, it was a learning experience, but, um, um, you know, I've been here ever since and the magazine has grown, you know, enormously since then. I think we've been fortunate over the years to have really, really talented writers who just happen to like billiards. Um, and the industry has been very fortunate in that respect too, you know, by my way of thinking, I mean, guys like Robert Byrne and and George Fells and Mike Seamus and, you know, people like that, they're, you know, they're well beyond Billiards Digest in terms of their ability to write and and their contributions, but they just happen to like pool. So they, they looked at Billiards Digest as a place where they could, you know, write about something that they love and, and they've made Billiards Digest as, as good a read as it is, uh, mm-hmm. much more than I have. Um, but so I've been with the magazine for 34 years and uh, wow. uh, bought the company with a business partner who was the uh, business manager at the time uh, in 1994. So we just celebrated 20 years of owning the company. Okay. Um, and it's been a lot of fun. The bird industry is, a, is an industry that gets in your blood and... Uh, you know, it's, it's hard to shake. So um, the people are great. Uh, the, the stories are great. The players, it's, it's 
great, been great going to tournaments and um, dealing with the industry and with room owners and retailers and sure. um, the, the, the whole gamut. Um, it's you know it's really been uh, a great job that I've, that I've really enjoyed. Um, as far as how we look at the future, um, certainly the print journalism everywhere has is facing challenges of, of people who want yeah. you know, to know things 10 minutes ago. Yeah. Um, and the Internet has, has made that happen. Yeah. Um, we've struggled, like every other publication in the world, to figure out how to monetize um, our institutional knowledge and our, our database and our wealth of information and our ability to write, trying to monetize that on the Internet is, is not an easy thing. Um, and companies, you know, uh, publications and newspapers far bigger than Billiards Digest have, have struggled trying to find right. what that equation is as well. Right. So we'll keep looking in that direction. In the meantime, you know, there are still a lot of people out there who like touch and the feel and the look of a print publication. Sure. Um, there's things that you can get in a print publication I just think you don't get online. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, really good photography, graphic design, things like that. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll continue with the print magazine as long as people continue to buy it and, <laughs> uh, and continue to look into, you know, how we try to move into that uh, digital, you know, field yeah. Uh, with some kind of success, right. but it's it's not an easy it's not an easy thing to negotiate. No, it's uh, you know it is it, well. And I'm not going to say that it's 100% instant gratification. I guess it's well, it is, but it isn't. I think it's also just the convenience of um, you know. I I don't know, I, and I'm not trying to take a shot at you guys, but you know, it's kind of passe. Now everybody wants to be green and stop printing on paper altogether, and it's like, well, crap. You know, where, how do you get rid of the whole entire print world? I don't see that happening either. You know, so it's it is a challenge. I can imagine uh, to try to 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 stay relevant. Um, so I guess I'm just gonna wish you good luck and leave it at <laughs> and, le- and leave it at that. Look, uh, no one would be happier than me if we could find the right model. And, yeah. You know, on the internet. Uh, you know, I like storytelling i like photographs i like graphic design and and you can do that on the internet but you know that's that's you know publications on the internet have not fared as well you know from a from the model of people paying for them right um and uh that's what you want to get people to be able to do i mean i it would it would save us a ton of money to not have to print and use paper, and not have to use the postal service, um, you know, and all those things. So it would would certainly bring down the cost of a subscription, because you don't have that overhead. But by the same token, getting people used to uh, buying news on the Internet is, is, you know, a problem that no one's really been able to wrap their arms around yet. That's very true. You know, the Internet is not an advertising-based medium. Right. So, yeah. you know, I can run all the pages I want, and and you know, you don't sell full pages on the internet. You know, it just <laughs> that's true. So that's true. It's just it, it's a different it's a different business model, and you know, we'll just we'll just keep whacking away at it and see if we can't uh, find a way to do it because you know there there is there are still plenty of things in the billiard world to write about. 
Well, let me ask you this. Um, while, the, while we're talking about uh, staying relevant, uh, I have to bring up the unfortunate uh, issue of George Fells no longer being with us. Um, if you could tell us a little bit about um, your relationship with George and if perhaps you guys are going to maybe look to find a replacement or something for him at some point, maybe? Um, yeah, no, it was, it was a, a really shocking, terrible uh, loss. Um, he was uh, He actually started writing for the magazine a month after I was hired. Uh, to edit the magazine. He was still working in the uh, ad agency business in Chicago, but was, but loved pool and was playing around Chicago a lot and wanted to contribute to the magazine. And so he started, you know, his first article was in the first issue that I published. Um, so I knew George for 34 years, and he was in the office every week, uh, at least to stop by for a couple of hours, if not, you know, whole days. So um, he was, to me, the the best pure writer that I, who I ever knew. Mm-hmm. Um, billiards or not billiards, didn't make any difference. His uh, column on the back page of the magazine, his tips and shafts, was just unbelievable storytelling. Um, and how much information he got into one page uh, was, was astonishing. And people don't know how hard it is to write short like that and clever like that, and precise like that. It, it's really difficult. And That's I used true. to watch George spin these columns out in about 90 minutes, and it was so frustrating because <laughs> it just, you just, you know, as a writer, you look at it and you think, I'll never be able to do that. Yeah. Um, he was that good. Yeah. Um, and he was a great guy. He was a lot of fun. He was, he was quirky. Um, you know, he was... Um, you know, he was offbeat. He was he could create these really weird socially, you know, uh, uncomfortable moments. <laughs> you know, he was <laughs> he was just a very interesting person. Yeah, he was. Um, and uh, um, yeah, he'll be sorely missed. As far as replacing him, you know, it's um, it's kind of cliche, but you know, you don't you don't replace a legend. You just I, I kinda, know, I know, right? You just kind of move in a different direction and 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 don't try to ever replicate. You know, you, you can't you can't duplicate uniqueness, yeah, and and George true. was unique. So, um, you know, there'll never be another you know tips and shafts on the last page with someone else's name on it. And um, you know, thankfully, George had actually had written seven or eight pieces that were not published uh, prior to his death. So we're going to publish those, and and then I may just you know go back to some some old articles of his and run them on the back page for a while and uh just because you know he he wrote for 34 consecutive years and never missed an issue so there's you know columns that he wrote in the early mid late 80s that i guarantee 95 percent of our readership has never seen before so right right um so it wouldn't be you know it wouldn't be a stretch to think that publishing those would would not you know, be of interest to people. So uh, right. we'll probably do that for a while. And, um, yeah, just, uh, like I said, you know, you don't replace him. You just run articles of his that you want to run right. and then head into a different direction. Yeah. No, I think you're right. I don't think, uh, I think it would probably be, uh, to foolish, it'd be foolish to think that, 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 that 
he could be replaced, I guess I'll put it that way, because he was a very unique individual. And he certainly uh, burned a place in, in, in all of our hearts, uh, that's for sure. I don't think anybody that's ever read your magazine um, would ever forget that column. That's just, you know, it was, well, it was the first page. So you know, much. Clearly the first page everybody went to when the magazine arrived yeah, at their house. Yeah, it's very true. That. Yes, very true. It's hard to imagine it without it, to be honest with you. Well, I appreciate you taking your time, Mike, to talk to us. Um, I really appreciate it. We uh, certainly, um, uh, as far as I'm concerned, think that you're the the best publication out there. <laughs> so, so keep up the good work. We'll try, and uh, we appreciate everyone's, you know, you know, reading Billiards Digest and and writing in and commenting. It's always nice to run into people on the road and hear what they think of the magazine and what can make it better and uh, uh, it's been a lot of fun for 34 years and hopefully it'll be going on for quite a long time more yeah here's to the next 34 years great <laughs> good luck uh, for 2014 and we will talk to you again soon sir thanks very much alright take care Hi, I'm Scott Lee, PBIA Master Instructor from Largo, Florida. And I'm Randy Gettlicker, PBIA Master Instructor from Dallas, Texas. Welcome to the One Minute Pool Instructor. What we got this today, Scott? Our topic this week is talking about the definition of a pool shooting template. A template? What is a template, Randy? Well, a template is something that produces the same outcome all the way, but a pool template, I believe a pool player has to not only have a standard template, which we're going to explain here, but he also has a, have to have a specialty template. Um, in a standard template, uh, everything starts when the Q-stick or the Q-tip is about a quarter inch from the cue ball. So nothing can be measured in a template until you get about a quarter inch up to the cue ball. That's your strike zone anyway. Right. right. And then you start measuring from the Q-tip back. So the first part of a template is the setup. How close is my Q-tip to the cue ball? And the second part of the template would then be your bridge length. Oh, yes. And again, bridge length is a, a misunderstood concept for a lot of players. But the truth is that most of us will have a comfortable or standard bridge length that we like to use and without realizing it we will put our hand down the same distance away from the cue ball uh, and it won't vary uh, more than an inch or so for most players that's one of the the uh, interesting eye-opening things that I see in in my teaching is players not realizing that if there's nothing in the way they'll put their hand down the same distance away from the cue ball almost every time. Well that's a yeah, different story when we're off a rail or, or over a ball and that's that specialty template I was talking about. So uh, the bridge is formed uh, second in, in it varies from person to person. Is it, that what I understand? It, it does. It does. And what we want to make sure is that not only is their tip close, not only are they in their standard bridge length, but the third part then is where do I hold my cue? 
Well, where, where are we supposed to hold our cue? Uh, first of all, we've got to make sure our cue is level, right? At strike, which means that's to tip touching the ball. Sure, because in a pendulum stroke, your cue stick always returns back to whatever you were at. Yes. So then where are we supposed to hold our cue? You hold your cue where your, your grip hand falls directly underneath your elbow, perpendicular uh, to the cue stick when the tip is at the cue ball. And that can only be measured correctly when the tip is at the cue ball. So and you figured length, out your bridge length. Yeah, and bridge length then can be long or short in there. We can still perform those two major functions. Yes. But we will have a standard bridge length, just like we will have a, a standard uh, grip area on sure. the cue that matches up with our personal. Right. So, so we've got, uh, in our template then, we've got the set position, we've got the bridge, we've got making sure our cue stick is level, then we've got where do we hold the cue, where's the forearm, and then last but not least, how do our eyes operate in there? When I'm working on the cue ball, Scott, where should my eyes be focused? Well, the, the eye doctors and brain doctors tell us that the way the eyes work most efficiently with the brain is to be looking where we want to be working. So we look at the cue ball when we do our warm-ups, we look at the object ball when we shoot because our cue goes where our eyes go. Alright, so the template then is perhaps the second or third most important thing they can, they can get, the student can get from us is getting that standard template then makes consistency. does. Absolute consistency. A requirement. And I think that's a, a great way to finish up our segment for this week. I'm Scott Lee. And I'm Randy G. Checking out what's next week. Join us next week when we're going to be talking about the purpose of warm-ups. Warm-up strokes? Who takes those? <laughs> Almost everybody. I'll see you next week. See you next week. Welcome to the Legends and Champions Report on American Billiards Radio, brought to you by Neil's Garage Cabinets of Mesa, Arizona. And this is Mark Cantrell. Glad you could join us again this week. And um, I'm going to start by explaining my intro. I've known the people at Neil's Garage Cabinets for over 20 years. And... Recently, they approached me and asked if I would like to do a little bit of work for them. They're looking at doing a number of things. And I agreed, but I told them, you know, I'm involved in the pool community, as they knew, and they're uh, uh, pool and billies enthusiasts themselves, and want to do some promotion for pool. So uh, those are th that's something that we're going to be working on uh, as we go, hopefully, in the near future. Uh, Neil's Garage Cabinets are going to be able to uh, put on a couple of special events. And uh, the good company. If you're in the market, I've got to do my promo bit here now because 
you know, they asked me to do some work with them, and they said, listen, if you need to do that radio show, don't worry about it. You know what? We'll, we'll uh, take care of you. We'll give you some sponsorship money for that as well. So I just wanted you to know if you're in the Phoenix area and you're in the need of garage cabinets or you know anybody who is, please support the people who are supporting us. And I think it's important that we all kind of stick together on those kind of things. They do a great job. They're uh, competitively priced uh, among the industry and uh, do a great job. So if you're in the market for garage cabinets, Needles Garage Cabinets, sponsor of uh, this event uh, and this show. I'm going to move on from my little infomercial there to... What is the hot topic of the day? Well, if I look at AZ Billiards forums, um, Rodney Morris and Q Sports International. I've got to, while doing this job here and uh, producing this segment, I've got to do my best to be as impartial as I possibly can and find the good and bad in both sides to this. And maybe... I don't know if you could necessarily call me an insider, but I guess I am a little bit of an insider. And I know a lot of things or have paid attention to things uh, that maybe the average pool fan doesn't always get to hear about. I looked at the thread there on AZ Billions forums, and I don't know how many pages it's up to now, but there's a lot of information in there, but it's so spread out and little incremental pieces here and there. Uh, I think Rodney has, I think if you asked him, he'd tell you, you know, he's kind of put his foot in his mouth a little bit, kind of let his pride get the better of him and puff, puffed his chest out and, you know, made some comments on Facebook, on the internet that, Maybe he shouldn't have made, but I know that when sometimes when you're angry, pissed off, or disgruntled, or you feel like you're being attacked, you know, you you tend to make those kind of decisions, and it's not a good decision. Uh, it's just our hearts and emotions getting the best of us. This is not, this whole thing, and I've seen it in the thread, it's not about a late fee. It's not just about late fee. That might be one of the straws that there that's uh, added to all of this. But this has gone back, I'm going to guess, two, approximately two years, maybe a little more, that this has started. And if maybe Rodney and Mark Griffin or somebody from CSI had got together at the very beginning and explained their grievances, maybe... Things would have not escalated to this point. Maybe they still would have because there's been just multiple things that have gone on. And you can put a little bit of it on the ABP and bonus ball. And I'm see, no matter how I do this, I'm going to come off as being a Mark Griffin supporter. Uh, Mark Griffin's never done anything but good things for me. But I have asked... A number of players and Griffin himself you know what part did you play in all of this and what part has Rodney played in all of this to lead to uh, people getting 
banned from tournaments, not even being able to show up. Well, it's more than just a late fee, you know. You 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 can't go out on a public forum. Well, take that back. Yes, you can. You have a freedom of speech. You can do anything you want to do. That's been pointed out on the forums as well. Rodney can get on the internet on Facebook and say anything he wants to say about anybody he wants to say. Is it the right move to make? That's the part right there. Am I allowed to go outside onto the main road here, see a cop and call him names and be disrespectful to him? Yes, I can do that, but it's not the wise thing to do. And maybe, you know, that's something that Rodney should have taken into consideration instead of letting his emotions get away with him. And I think that's a big, big part of this. Um, a player had told me, I was talking to a, a player about this, a pro player, and said, well, you know, Rodney kind of said this about Griffin. Rodney said this about CSI. He did this. He did that. And he said, well, you, you're pointing out all the things that Rodney's done. What about Mark Griffin? What has he done to help stir this pot? I said, I don't know. Tell me what he's done. I'd like to know because I'm going to do this radio show and I don't want to explain both sides of the situation if I possibly can. And I really can't get an answer from a number of pro players that I've spoken to about what Griffin actually has done or CSI has actually done to Rodney uh, other than barring from the tournaments. If you don't like a promoter as a player, you can, you've got two choices. You can pick up the phone and tell them you don't like them and sort it out privately. Or you can simply not play in their events. Just don't play in their events if you don't like them. That's your strength. That's why you can flex your muscle. Don't play in their events. If you believe that you're important to that event and that you're an asset to that event and you are going to prove a point by not going to it, don't go to it. On the other side, if a promoter decides he doesn't like you or the way you've acted, he has he can flex his muscle too. And the way he flexes his muscle is saying, you can't play in my event. So they both had their choices here. Now, when it comes down to it, I guess somebody said, Rodney showed up in Reno, and that was, I think, my boy Spanky. No disrespect to Spanky. I like Spanky down there in uh, Riverside, I believe. Um, he said, oh, I, Rodney just showed up to stir, the, stir up shit. Yeah, that's not the case. Rodney was already in Sacramento. He'd been following the West Coast swing, uh, you know, the Jay Swanson and the Chuck Markoulis, and the next stop was Reno. He found out he was not allowed to play in the Reno event, and but yet he still was close enough. It's only, I think, a couple of hours from Sacramento to Reno. And Rodney has family there. He has his kids there. So he was going up there. He was going to play in the tournament if he was allowed to. But he was also there to spend some time with his kids as well. So he wasn't necessarily there to just stir up shit. 
as as it's been said by a number of different people. He wasn't just spanky. He wasn't there just to cause trouble. He was there in Reno to see his kids. And that's nothing wrong with that. Since he wasn't allowed to play in the tournament, he also decided, well, if I'm not allowed to play, I know some of my friends are playing in the tournament. I'll go show up and support them. So he went to the event to show up and support them. Did he have an agenda in the back of his mind that he was going to go around and badmouth CSI, badmouth Mark, Mark Griffin? I don't know that. I'll, I've got to say at this point, no, he didn't. And give him the benefit of the doubt. He wasn't going there to cause trouble or badmouth the event or badmouth Mark Griffin. He was there to support his friend or friends. And they still, you know, asked him to leave. Whether that's fair or not, that's not my call. That's CSI's call. Personally, I would have waited, just my opinion, I would have waited and let Rodney watch his friends, and if he started running around and bad-mouthing and causing a fuss, then ask him to leave. But, uh, you know, give him a chance to support his friends and visit with people that maybe he hadn't seen for a while. Um, so I think kicking him out of the venue immediately was a little harsh, in my opinion. Maybe that's, uh, that was a little too much. Let him do something wrong first. Give you give yourself a reason to get rid of him. But again, that's not my call. That's somebody else's. Um, he'd really done nothing wrong, I guess, to, to that point. I'm going to take a quick break, and I will be back momentarily. Thank you for joining me, American Billies Radio. Legends and Champions Report, brought to you by Neil's Garage Cabinets. Welcome back, American Billions Radio, the Legends and Champions Report, brought to you by Neil's Garage Cabinets. And uh, I just got done on my, it wasn't really a rant, it was just my personal opinions trying to uh, touch on what the seems to be the hot topic on uh, the Easy Billies forums, and that's the Rodney and uh, CSI conflict. Um, I'm, I'm going to finish up there with that, I think, other than... It's not just one incident of a late fee that Rodney got pissed off about. There's been multiple things that have gone on that's been an accumulative between the two. And, um, you know, I'll I'll just leave it at that. I'll say a quick happy birthday, birthday to uh, Jenny Malloy, Jam. Happy birthday. I hope you and Keith are going to go out and have a nice dinner tonight. And i'm going to move on the moscone cup i will tell you this um the matchroom sports have uh agreed to let american billiards radio be the official radio show of the 2014 party poker moscone cup which is kind of cool 
we'll be able to get some exclusive interviews, up-to-date information regarding the Moscone Cup for 2014. And, uh, you know, that's, that's pretty cool. I'm, I'm real happy about that. And so I'll give you just a what updates I have to this point regarding Moscone Cup 2014. You already know Mark Wilson is the captain. And he can pick the players this year for Team USA. His goal was to bring eight players to the forefront. And from the eight players, whittle that down to the five. uh, Through spending time with the players and taking them on an exhibition roadshow where they play Moscone Cup-style format against pool rooms uh, around the country and and see what he thought was going to be the best match. He's got his eight players. Uh, I'm sorry, he doesn't have his eight players. I think he has eight, uh, 15 players right now and I could be wrong on that number, he's got 15 players that are in contention that he needs to cut down to the final eight. And he is still working on it. I know that's probably a really tough job to try and pull off. So um, he knows there is a, you know, something of a time element here for him. And he's doing his best to handle everything that he does uh, along with the, the Moscone Cup picks. So... Hopefully, we'll hear on that uh, real soon. He's not down to the eight players. The plan has has been released in press releases and uh, in some uh, information that's gone out on the AZ Billions forums and on Facebook, I believe. He wants to have some time with the team as he goes down to these five players and then after the five players time again with them to create team spirit bonding working together working under uh, the best conditions they can to emulate the Moscone Cup and so the goal is to again to do maybe three tours over the next 12 uh, well, be, before the Moscone Cup. So while well, we got 10 months left and showcase the Moscone Cup team and get them used to playing together and build the team spirit. That is in the works. The Roadshow Exhibition Tour is in the works. As you can imagine, there are a lot of logistics, a lot of things that are involved, um, not just the planning side of things, but the financial side of it. You You can't take seven or eight people out on a road trip and it be free. So the funding has to come from somewhere. If you or uh, and you're part of the Pool and Billions community or anybody else wants to uh, be a part of making it happen, you know, um, send me a PM on uh, izzybillions.com uh, forums B-F-D-L-A-D is my name on there, if you haven't seen me around there before. Or you can shoot me an email at cantrillmark at yahoo.com. And, uh, you know, let's see if we can get the funding together. I know we've got a lot of people who are involved uh, at this point as, uh, as far as the sponsorship side of things. 
but we've still got to really nail this down uh, before it can be committed to. So send me any information you might have on that. And uh, I think it'd be a great thing uh, for, for Team USA and for the Pool and Billiards community to, to, to have this happen. I don't think it's ever been done before. So I wish uh, Matchroom and Mark Wilson all the best of luck with that. That's about all I've got for this week. Um, it's shorter than usual. I would like to thank again Deals Garage Cabinets for their support. Please support them. If you are in the Phoenix metro area and you're in the market or know somebody who's in the market for garage cabinets, a good quality product at competitive prices, please get in touch with them. Support the people who are supporting the pool, and pool world. And that will be it for this week. Uh, I hope I wasn't too negative on Rodney. That wasn't my intention. I was trying to put a balance of both things together. Um, it's definitely something that's been maybe beat to death on the forums. So uh, maybe I, I should have just let sleeping dogs lie. Who knows? But thank you all for listening. It is appreciated. And I will see you all again next week. Have a great week. Welcome to another edition of the Go Play Pool app featured room of the week, everybody. Um, today I'm talking to Janet Atwell, the owner of Borderline Billiards in Bristol, Tennessee. How are you doing, Janet? Doing well. Thanks for calling me. Good. I'm glad. Yeah, it's good to talk to you. Uh, so tell us a little bit about Borderline Billiards and the history of the location. Uh, well, I, I've actually been open uh, seven years. Uh, uh, borderline billiards, uh, the name comes from being on the border of Virginia and Tennessee. Um, mm -hmm. The right side of the street's the Tennessee side, and the left side of the street's Virginia. So if you're wow, standing in the middle of the street, you can hear it both, both <laughs> states at the same time. That's crazy. So, I don't know. Yeah, people get amazed when they come down and they can go out and straddle the, the yellow <laughs> lines in the middle of the street and be in both, both states at the same time. That's so funny. That's funny. So, but it's in a, it's in an old downtown building. The building was uh, built in 1929. It was an old Crest building, which was a five and dime store back in the mm -hmm. day. And um, of course, it's got the uh, the original facade. It's a three story building, and um, so we totally redid the first level of it, mm -hmm. coming in off the street, and then and then the second story and the third story still in development, and then um, across the street. You know, there's many things that we actually have loft living downtown. So there's lots of loft apartments that face the opposite side of the, the building. So it's mm -hmm. in a neat little area. That's cool. Kind of a, I've seen pictures, you know, it looks very um, homey, you know. <laughs> oh, it is. They're, they're, yeah. Downtown's starting to really start to revitalize a little bit. And we've got, uh, you know, there's probably between six and ten restaurants slash bars and uh, of course I'm the only place with pool tables and somewhat recreation right. so that's sort of a pool for me. Cool that's cool so uh yeah tell us um you know what kind of uh, equipment and stuff you got in your room. I have uh ten gold crown fours nine foot tables and then I have um four bar tables, and then two diamond seven-foot tables, 
course, I've got uh, four dart boards, you know, with some dart leagues, uh, air hockey game, foosball. You know, obviously, pool's my love, so we we try to focus mostly on the pool, and we have BCA. Mm-hmm. Um, try to do BCA leagues on Tuesday night, and then uh, on Thursdays, Saturdays, and Sundays we do tournaments. Um, you know, and I've tried every kind of tournament format under the sun to try to see what pulls the most people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what I've found to be the best for me in this location is um, handicapping it, handicapping the tournament, but not handicapping it really by a lot or by ball spots. One tournament, mm-hmm. I handicap um, the entry fee. I leave the tournament open to anyone that's, uh, a player and down, but I don't allow the double A's and the triple A's to play in it. Right. And so I just I charge a higher entry fee for the A's to play and a, and a lower entry fee for everyone else. And that way, oh, that's cool. it still gives those people the the time to get in there and mingle and play and try to get better mm-hmm. with the better players without it costing them so much. Because right. nine times out of ten, you're going to have that better player come out on top. So. And, and they're okay with paying a larger entry fee because they know they've got much more of an advantage than the exactly. fighter. Exactly. And idea. then uh, I, I handicap some of the other tournaments by form of uh, ball spots. You know, mm-hmm. I'll make the A's and the B's the call eight and the C's the, the call seven, eight, and I don't let any of the ball spots count on the breaks. So uh-huh. I've sort of monitored everything to where... I'm there with it every week, and I watch it, and I see what happens, and I keep track of it and put it in the computers and keep track of who's winning and who's losing mm-hmm. and how many times they've played so that it helps me to know if their handicap needs to go up or down. And, right. You know, it's tough. I hate to say it, but in the pool world, it's <laughs> tough to make people happy. Um, it is. It, it is. Yeah. <laughs> you know, one person thinks, you know, I've never seen anything like it. One person will think today when he's talking to his partner or his buddy, he wants to brag about how good he is and how he can beat anybody in the area. And then when you put him in a handicap tournament and you make him spot everybody, he wants to complain about it. Right? You know? <laughs> I know, it doesn't work both ways, man. <laughs> I like to keep all that stuff in the computer so I can pull it back out and say, okay, let's right? see one three in a row. <laughs> Not getting anything past me. Oh. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, that part still amazes me. Yes, I know. How I it that that's the way it is, though. That's that's I guess that's the pool player's mantra. I don't know. <laughs> I guess it's part of the ego. You want the bragging rights until it comes right. time for the money, and then all of a sudden, when it comes time to get the cash, you want to be the lowest ranked person in the city. <laughs> uh, exactly. That's funny. Uh, so, um, so do you guys have you know like food? Yeah, I you know you said you had liquor. We do. Um, you know, we've got pretty much a, an appetizer-type menu. I, mm-hmm. I do hamburgers and Philly cheesesteaks and pizzas and things of that nature. We don't get into anything too hardcore, right. such as steaks or anything like that. Yeah. Um, so it's good food. To be, in a, to be in a pool room, it's excellent food, mm-hmm. and it's excellent food to keep the people that are there happy without them having mm-hmm. to go out and get food. But, right. you know, it's not the kind of place where people's going to say, let's just drop by there to eat. We're not interested in playing any pool, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what's your What's your favorite item on your menu? Uh, probably the pizza and the, and the potato skins. 
Yeah, I'm a pizza person though, and we make our own pizza, so so, so it's excellent when it comes out hot and you know yeah. make it the way you want it. Yeah, that's the best part, making it however you want. I, I like right. to experiment with pizza. It's amazing you can put anything on the pizza, pretty much. <laughs> that's exactly right. <laughs> uh, so what's your what's your favorite part about owning your room? Well, just being able to go and come as I please, obviously, is the nicest part. Um, <laughs> the, I guess one of the main reasons why I even put one in this area is because there there wasn't a place, you know, within a 45-minute drive to where you could go and enjoy pool without having somebody smoking on top of you or something like that. So right. I, I enjoy the fact that I can go in there and take my clothes off when I get home and not smell like a cigarette and yeah. things of that nature. And, you know, when you make up your own rules, obviously, uh, you try to make up rules that you enjoy and you don't have to go home and think it, wonder if you've made sure. the wrong decision. Right. Yeah. No, I, I totally understand that. Yeah. I, um, I don't know. I, is it, uh, is it still allowed out there? Cause I know in California pretty much, you know, unless, it's a hole in the wall that nobody really, you know, bothers. It's all right. smoke, non-smoking now. Right. Um, yeah. We've starting to we've started to get a little more non-smoking all through the region. When mm-hmm. I opened seven years ago, everyone around me was smoking. Yeah. And within the last couple of years, they've changed the laws to where you have to be non-smoking if you allow anyone under the age of eighteen in your facility. So. You either have to be 18 and above mm-hmm. to be smoking, or you have to be non-smoking and, and allow anyone to enter. So right. that's that's a, and I'm so thankful that I did that from the beginning. It oh, would have been sure, hard yeah. to make an adjustment to to go non-smoking exactly. five years into it. You know exactly. Uh, no, and it's good. To, I mean, I personally, you know, I'm I I smoke, but I don't like being around it when I'm playing pool, you know, I mean, it's hard on the eyes, and, and, yeah, I mean, you know, when we go and play in Vegas and stuff, it's hard, because, you know, eyes are burning and everything, and, I mean, and I'm a smoker, so, yeah, it's, it's, you know, just shows how bad it can get, yeah. Right. You got any special events coming up? You know, once a month, I do a 500 added tournament, which is a pretty good draw for this area, because, like Mm -hmm. I said, there's, Within a couple hours, there's not really any nice pool rooms that do any kind of tournament specials or anything like that. So mm-hmm. just adding a little bit of money is a decent draw, you know, mm-hmm. with a 40 or $50 entry. And, you know, I, I, I usually have, you know, 40, 50 players come play in that. And, mm-hmm. and it's a once-a-month thing, so it's, you know, it, they start to become regulars and, you know how pool is. Everybody becomes yeah. family at that point in time. So exactly. Yeah. I've never met a stranger when it comes to a pool table and a pool room. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, definitely. I, I love it. I love it. But, <laughs> well, pool has sort of, from from everything that I've seen, you know, I've been playing 25, 26 years now, and mm. in the last 10 years, it, pool just, doesn't seem to be near as dominant as it was when I began playing, you know. Right. And some of that, obviously, is the economy, you know, 
mm-hmm. taking a turn for the worse. And then uh, there's so many things. Technology has advanced in such ways that people have so many other things to do that don't that doesn't really cost them any extra money. So right. entertainment seems to take a back seat. As far as the technology end of it, you know, the the information is there, and I think I think it's changed the way pool is run altogether. I mean, you can't you can't walk into a room anymore and hustle anybody or whatever, you know, because everybody knows oh, you're who you exactly are. Right. Yep. Everyone it's knows who you are. Stop the action. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But I I think um, on the same token, you know, I think that because the information is is so accessible that there is no reason that it, you know, if it's, that's what we're trying to do. You know, we're trying to put all the information in one source for everyone to be able to go to, you know, and it's mobile, it's, you know, right at your fingertips, you know, and and I know that, you know, you know, we're starting with one room at a time and I think it'll, I think it'll grow. And then, you know, these little, these little places that, you know, people don't even know about. I had a place that was right down the road for me, 10-minute drive, and they had five diamond tables. Wow. And I had no idea. I played in this, you know, I played in a little hole in the wall with, you know, ballet bar boxes that on the weekends, you know, when they would have concerts, they'd stack them up against the wall, you know. It was like if the information had been there, then, you know, so that's what we're, you know, that's... I I think it's sort of like you said, people are going to get the information one way or the other. You know, 10 years ago, these guys that were out hustling, you know, they all work together. All these rope guys work together. They know when someone's in one location and when someone's in another location. Right. They, they know they know who to go play. Mm-hmm. They know how they play. They know who their backer is. They know how much mm-hmm. money they'll, they'll go for. They know they've got the complete line on these people before they enter the building anyway. Mm-hmm. It's just yeah. much easier to get it now than it used mm-hmm. to be. They yeah. don't have to work for it as hard. They don't have to do their hustling job of, you know, right. of find, finding all that information the hard way. Mm-hmm. It's a little it's a little easier for them. I like the fact that it's all going to be in one location and everybody can start to hit that spot. And, mm-hmm. you know, hopefully it will turn around and become a positive thing sooner or later, you know. We've got yeah. to do something to get people more involved with playing pool and playing competitive and, doing what it takes to turn the sport around. You know, I think, you know, I mean, you look at the leagues and the number of people that they have playing. I mean, it's it's there's a lot of people out there that play pool, whether it be on an amateur level or professional level or, you know, right. pro, whatever. There's a lot of people out there that are playing. It's just that, you know, I think I think separation, the, the huge separation between the pro and the amateur is what's keeping it down because, you know, I'm sorry, but the amateur is the one that's going to spend the money. Oh, no, you're pro, exactly right. You know, and they're they're the ones that are going to be the fan base of, of, you know, the Sheens and the Darrens and, you know, but they don't know who they are. They don't know right. who they are. And as long as there's that separation between the two, there there's no way that the pool can grow anymore. Right. So, you know, hopefully, hopefully, you know, a marketing guru can figure it out on how to meld the two. You know, I mean, it can, couldn't hurt. <laughs> couldn't no, hurt. no, you're absolutely right, and we definitely need that to take place. Speaking of technology, you can find uh, Borderline Billiards on the Go Play Pool app. They are a Go Play Pool member. 
So, you know, if you're in the area and you want to play a tournament, you can look them up on the app and find out all that information and get in touch with them and call and say hi to Janet because she's awesome. So, um, yeah, go down to Borderline Billiards and have some pizza. <laughs> Sounds great, Marianne. Thanks for calling. I hope you have a great tournament out there. Thank you. I appreciate it, Janet. I appreciate you getting on the phone with us today. And thank you for joining us again on American Billiard Radio for the Go Play Pool app featured room of the week. See you next time. Hello everyone and welcome to this week's edition of Pool on the Grind here on AmericanBilliardRadio.com. I'm your host, Allison Fisher, the editor of NYCGrind.com, and joining me this week is founder of NYC Grind, Jerry T., Jerry Tarantola, and we are here to share with you a story that JT has to tell about coming up as a pool player himself, as a junior player in the New York Tri-State area. Yeah, thanks, Austin. I appreciate it. Hello, everyone. And um, specifically, yeah. I sorry to cut you off, yeah. specifically how uh, the work that Alan Hopkins has done, we know we have the Super Billiards Expo coming up this, this year, so we're going to talk about how Alan influenced you as a player and also as a... Uh, sportscaster, or I should say, basically a, a producer and leader in, in pool. All right, awesome. Well, it's, it's an interesting topic, and it's when I came to uh, um, this conversation, or when I came to meet you for this conversation, I, I didn't really do much thinking about that aspect of it. I was thinking about the expo and all the different events and uh, you know, the new one-pocket event that's going on there. And I'm thinking about, you know, some of the new changes and how Predator is on board now. And there's a lot of cool cool stuff. So when you mentioned that you wanted to talk about, like, that, I, I was like, wow, okay. <laughs> so, yeah, this is an interesting conversation. And I just want to say that uh, um, it's an honor to, to be able to sit here and have this conversation with you for American Blue Radio. Thank you. And, uh, you know, a lot of people hopefully be able to hear this over the years. And... Um, hopefully a lot of junior players as well, because what I'm going to talk about, like, this is pretty much, this is going out, like, to the juniors. Awesome. Well, what I'd like to first touch on is that you came as a junior player to the second ever Super Billiards Expo event in 1994. 1994, yeah. yeah. Tell me what that was like. Well, I started playing pool when I was 12 years old, um... In Queens, New York, Maspeth, Queens, a pool room called Lock U Billiards. And it was just like an awesome experience for me. And I felt right away that I was able to um, kind of connect with a, a bunch of friends around a game that we all had a common interest around. And, you know, every day after school, uh, you know, I, I played hockey at the time. I would take my roller skates and I would skate to the pool room. 
and it was something I looked forward to. And I'd take my skates off, and I have my sneakers, and I would just switch up, and I'd go play pool. I'd play pool there, you know, with friends and all that, and I'd play for like chocolate cake and milk and stuff like that. And you know, I won my first pool tournament at 13 years old, and uh, it was like an awesome experience. Of course, it was a handicap tournament. I was getting a lot of weight in a, you know, big spot, but uh, it was a great experience. Uh, I tasted winning, and to me, that tournament was like so big. It was like in terms of like, like excitement. I didn't know about professional pool. I didn't right. know about this and that. So in 1994, I played in my first, my first like real, um, I think it was 1994. I played in like two juniors events. I played in the Expo and I played in uh, the, the BCA uh, Junior National Championships. I qualified and I went to Vegas and I lost to Billy Lana who ended up winning that year. Uh, Billy the Kid, William Lana. But so, but the expo was the first time that I was able to see pool in so many different aspects of pool at such a large scale, and I was blown away. I was really blown away because they had you, you know the trick shots, and you had the juniors, and you had the seniors, and you had the open, you had the eight ball, you had the nine ball, all this stuff. And I never, I, I just like I, I there was the cue case. There was like you know in the pool room you have a certain area usually where they sell merchandise and a few pool sticks, like you know the cue case area. And all I knew in terms of my perspective of pool and what pool cues were at that age, really, was what was around me, what my friends had and all that. I didn't know about, custom, like, really the intricacies of custom cues and the different wraps and the different tips and the processes, you know, all that, the processes that went into all that. Mm -hmm. And uh, my perspective was very limited. So when I went to the expo for the first time as a, as a young, evolving, like, man, as a young kid, I was blown away because my mom, like... You know, there's like the pool world, but I was living in a little small town, and I never really went to the to to, to the city. I didn't go to the farm. I didn't go to the farmers market. I didn't really, uh, you know, interact with the people out there creating things and contributing to the market and to the community in a certain way. And the expo blew me away, and I was able to watch the pros play. So now I had someone and some actual people to inspire to like to be more like because up until that point. I was I was taught by and I'm you know I'm going on a little bit here but this is I guess the best way to paint this picture. I was taught by um, really uh, one of the most influential people in my life till this day. Not even like pool players, but like one of the most influential people in my life who helped me see things differently. He had a unconventional uh, unconventional um, view of life and an unconventional definitely unconventional approach to pool. And he went through a lot of different variations and through a lot of the different experimental processes throughout the time around pool. And what was awesome is I had, I, I pretty much... Um, and that was Gene. Gene Nagy. Yes, Gene yeah. Nagy. Gene, Gene Nagy, Eugene mm -hmm. Nagy. And he was uh, the most recent inductee into the Straight Pool Hall of Fame. And most people knew him as, you know, this phenomenal straight pool player. But when I when I got a chance to, to play with Gene, Gene was kind of sick of straight pool during that time, and we played like I just played nine ball with him all the time. So I didn't even watch like I, for a very long time. I, I didn't really watch Gene play straight pool. I heard about Gene being this great straight pool player, but I didn't see him missing nine ball. So I'm like, well, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like straight pools is game. Wow, right? Yeah. yeah. So but anyway, um. I, I just I learned through Gene and through a lot of the local great players like Danny Baruti, who's another great straight pool player, uh, um, and so many other p players. And you know, Jeanette Lee was influential in my life as well. We were both sponsored by the same pool room, La Cue Billiards, when I was young. But Gene, I must say, was my most influential, um, I guess, figure 
in the pool world, and we spent so, like sessions, ten hour like ten hour sessions playing the game, um, and and having discussions around it, and and I experimented along with him, and he would say, "Look, I don't know if this is right or wrong, right. but but I would go along with him through this through this process, and I felt awesome to be able to start playing in tournaments." And having him support me, and I had someone to report back to. So I had someone that was, you know, like, hey, Pulling Jerry. you accountable. Yeah, yeah like, how did you do in the tournament, right. right? We're working on all this stuff. We're playing, right? How did mm -hmm. you do, right? Talk about it. Tell me about it. Now, sometimes he would watch me play, and he would be there, and he would laugh to himself. Like, one of the things about Gene, he was a little, you know, so he, was a, he, he was a genius, right? But at the same time, he was, uh, he, some people could say... He, he was like a little crazy in different ways, but he in different ways, very unconventional. And he was like the Yoda of. He was like the Yoda, like to me, pool. he was the Yoda mm -hmm. of pool, right? And he would do things that a lot, a lot, a lot of people could say was crazy, but like, he would just la he would laugh at certain like I took this shot too seriously, and you know, and you would see me oh get all frustrated because I used to be like that, and he would just <laughs> break, he would look at me and just laugh. And I know all about and, that. And I would be like, gee, what are you laughing? What are you laughing at? Like, what are you laughing at? Right. All but right. ultimately, is he crazy or is he trying to teach me a lesson? to not take the game so seriously. So yeah. overall, I was able to learn a lot from Gene, but when I learned, when I experienced, when I experienced the Super Billiards Expo, it changed my life. And this is actually going to transition into, like, why I'm even involved with pool today. And I've given pretty much my, my life, you know, my life's work has been, is around the game of pool, really. And I've, I've, I've contributed to the game in a certain unique way. And this, like, the motivation, like, the motivation stemmed from the impact that Alan Hopkins has had on my life. And, you know, and Alan Hopkins is the person who really started the Super Billiards Expo, and he did it for the players, and he wanted to create all these different events, and he opened up um, an opportunity and a platform to pe for people to communicate and, and to get around and participate and to compete. And to like, just, you know, like families can go to an event and play. Three generations can play at the same time. You can see the faces of pool. You can yes. see the people who embody uh, the passion at whatever age. Exactly. You find all of these amazing uh, characters and the people that have dedicated their lives, whether they be cue makers or other uh, media, persona media personalities or what have you. So there are, there's just such a huge impact that how far it's how far it's come today in the production that he puts on and the level of professional quality. Cause it's a duct tape ball. Ooey gooey, stringy, chewy, mushy kind of ball. What, where I was going with that was at the time, mm -hmm. Alan Hopkins um, was involved with a magazine called All About Pool. Yeah, let's touch, touch on that, yeah. talk about All About Pool. Right, so that was the magazine that was like the hot magazine in the Northeast, and it definitely covered all the local events in my area, you know, all the events I was interested in was covered, you know, the friends and the people that I knew that... Uh, that would going out there to these events, like I didn't have to like call them and ask them about it, like how they do. Like I was able to just like read about it, and I thought that was awesome. I really did. I thought that was awesome. And 
I, I didn't ex like I didn't expect to go to the Super Billiards Expo to you know in the first time and see all of these like I don't know if it felt like thousands at the time of these these magazines you know in these people's hands because they were you know Alan would give them out for free at the expo I think he charged I don't know if he charged I think he charged normally but at the expo he just gave them out for free. And yeah, everyone, a lot of magazines yeah, give out everyone had everyone that. had one, especially because mm -hmm. it was Alan's magazine, right? Like you know, that was that you know that was the magazine that everyone made sure they had. Of course, there were other billiard media uh, outlets doing a lot of great things and having their magazines out, but the All About Pool was Alan's magazine, you know. And when I when I picked it up, and this is the first time I saw that magazine, I was I was pretty much very surprised and blown away because I had like three articles about me written in that magazine. A feature article and like two other ones as well from three different events so that, that blew I won you away that in, a, you in a short period of time. Could see your name and be recognized for what you had accomplished. Yeah, and mm -hmm. for someone else to to take their time and write about that accomplishment, whether I won it or 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 like or whoever it, it was, like in one of those events, I played Danny Basevich, in like a big event in uh, in the Northeast. And um, New England somewhere, and it was a Hill Hill event. And Danny Basevich beat me. You know, he beat I beat him the first set in the finals. Coming back from the one loss side, I won like eleven matches or something. And he broke. He made the nine on the break. Now, and Danny's a few years older than you, but you kind of came up around the same. We came time. up around the same time, mm -hmm. like in the tri, like during the tri-state tour. We both played in the C tri-state tour, right. which was covered in that event, right? So this is actually, a, I'll give you a clear example. So I, coming up as a young player, I was both in the C tri-state and then in the B tri-state. Mm. So I was doing very well in the C and I would test myself in the B, you know? So one of those articles was like, you know, the tri-state has a has a new star, Jerry the Kid, right? But mm. now my name was Little Jerry. My nickname was Little Jerry, right? But it wasn't Jerry the Kid. Like there was Billy the Kid back there. I didn't want that nickname. Right. But that's what the rotor wrote, right? And right. all that. But it was like to see at 14 years old that the tri-state has a new star in the B tri-state. Yeah. Jerry the Kid. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that, that's influential Very. as a young kid, right? And that impacted me because it meant that, wow, you know, all this hard work that I'm doing, it means something. Like, people mm -hmm. are writing about it and think it's cool. And that's, look, I can show this to my friends and be like, wow, like, you know, this, this is just, this is where I was this weekend. Mm -hmm. And this is what this guy wrote about it. So, you know, as time went on, I was, I would only expect for, like, traditional media to start covering the sport, right? But... And it never, never really happened. I mean, with the exception of a couple of things here and there, you know, but no ongoing consistent coverage. So that's actually the motivating factor for me to start, to, for me to found the NYC Grind. Um, in 2007, we launched, and ultimately, it's because Alan's presence, like, there was no more All About Pool magazine. There, there, are, there are a few other media outlets doing a great thing, but, you know, there was an event in New York, the Big Apple. This was, this was the influencing moment, the big influencing moment. There was a Big Apple open at Master Billiards in 2006, and, and, and at the time, I was, out, I was outside of the industry. I had an outside-the-industry career, and I tried to leverage some of my connections to get public, you know, some public relations support and some press that look, you know, all these different players, Francisco Bustamante, all these champions are going to be in Queens, New York. This is the, the hub of, of sports. And no one came. 
It blew me away. So in that moment, I went and I bought a video camera and I started interviewing players. And it's because it, there was a, 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 la, a, a big gap between the potential of the game and, 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 and where it is right now. And basically, there's like no one knows who anyone is anymore. And if we, if, 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 if NYCGrind.com doesn't go to the Super Bears Expo and we don't roll out all of, all of the best talent and resources we have to do the best job we can to cover all of the different events to the best of our ability, then all the juniors and all the people that are playing in that event, all those events, aren't going to be able to share, share their accomplishments on their Facebook pages, share their experience with their family and friends, and that means that we're not doing the best that we can to give back to the industry. And that's what NYC's Grind is all about. We're really looking to give back to the industry and help provide people with not only timely, relevant information, but personal, relevant information about them and their accomplishments and the things that they're involved in and their interests, and give them the, the tools and the technology to share. And that's one of the reasons why I'm potential. I'm uh, I'm uh, optimistic about the sport, and I'm very excited about this year's expo because there's a lot of changes that uh, that are that are better than ever, including the one pocket. Yeah, one pocket championships coming up for the first time ever at the Super Billiards Expo, sponsored by Diamond. So that's going to be a very exciting thing coming up this year, for sure. Yeah, and Predator, uh, I'm excited about Predator as well, because Predator is coming on board as a title sponsor uh, for, the, for the pro 10 ball, with men's 10 ball and women's mm -hmm. 9 ball. Is that how it is, Allison? Absolutely. Okay. This year, they're the presenting sponsor awesome. for the women's professional nine ball and the men's professional 10 ball events. You know, they're definitely a, a great brand and a, and a strong presence in the industry. And they're, you know, they're well liked by, uh, you know, by the pros. I think like most of the pros play with the Predator Q. So obviously they're doing some things right. Uh, and uh, uh, big kudos to them for continuing to support this, you know, support the sport of pool and help Alan with this expo. Um, because I, you know, this expo is really near and dear to my heart. I know it's near and dear to your heart, Allison. Absolutely. And what I want to do is Perfect. first invite you to uh, our booth at at, at six at six oh three. We got no, we're not going to be selling anything. Just come by and, and visit us. We're going to have like you know a couple of videos to show, and um, and we'll be able to tell you a little bit more about what's exciting about us and what's going on. And basically, it's going to be a home base for us to help uh, help us kind of take a moment and, and you know and recoup and, and refresh for all our contributors. We're going to be out there helping support us in our cause because basically we're 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 a group of passionate individuals that are helping each other and helping the sport grow. Um, Jerry and I are both players ourselves that play on the tri-state area events. Yeah. So we have a, a dual dual presence at a lot of the tournaments around the Northeast, and I'm now living in New York full time. I had been living previously in Wisconsin, so. I'm going to be at a have a much higher presence on a, a lot of the events happening here. So I'm I couldn't be any more grateful to be able to share the story of pool with the world, and that's that's really what one of our core motivating factors is. We want to share how big the potential for pool is. So I thank yeah. you, Jerry, for all of your uh, awesome efforts and the heart that you've shown has been very uh, inspiring to me. So thank you very much for coming onto the show this week. We're going to wrap things up and thanks 
to everybody out there for listening to the show, and we will catch you next week. I'm Allison Fisher from nycgrind.com here on AmericanBilliardRadio.com. And JT, yeah, thank thanks you once everyone. again. Thanks, everyone. I appreciate it.